Today is Thursday, September 12, 2019. On this day in 1990, the body of retired police chief Dick Humphreys was discovered. He had been shot six times and discarded in the woods. Police connected his death to four similar shootings that had taken place over the past year. The woman responsible, they would soon learn, was America's most infamous female serial killer. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Every day, we flip back the calendar to this date years ago and recount one event from true crime history. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and on this day 29 years ago, former police chief Dick Humphreys was found dead in Marion County, Florida. The fifth victim of infamous serial killer Eileen Warnos. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Before we unpack the ramifications of Eileen's crimes, let's go back to the evening of September 12th, a little before sundown. Even before his body was found, Dick Humphrey's wife knew something was horribly wrong. She and Dick had a good relationship. They had just celebrated their 35th wedding anniversary two nights before. So when the 56-year-old failed to come home the night of September 11, 1990, she quickly alerted authorities that her husband was missing. The police had taken the call seriously. After all, Dick Humphreys was their former boss. He was a retired police chief, a former Air Force major, and well-respected within his community. Nobody would want Dick Humphreys dead. Which was what puzzled police when they found his body the next evening on September 12th. Police and Mrs. Humphreys soon learned that Dick may have had a secret vice, and though his sins were few, they eventually killed him. The circumstances which led to Dick's death were set into motion almost a decade before he was killed. In May 1981, 25-year-old Eileen Warnos felt panicked. Her boyfriend was distant. She worried he was leaving her. She knew she had to do something drastic to get his attention. It was this panic that led her to stride into a convenience store wearing nothing but a bikini and rob the cash register at gunpoint. It wasn't the best decision Eileen had ever made, but it was far from the worst. She tried to make a quick getaway, but it wasn't hard for police to spot a woman in a swimsuit carrying a gun and a bag of money. Police quickly picked her up and charged her with armed robbery. Eileen spent the next two years in prison. When she got out in 1983, the 27-year-old thought her boyfriend would be waiting for her, but found out he had run off with another woman. Heartbroken and dejected, she returned to the life of sex work, alcohol, drugs, and frequent homelessness that had consumed her since she was 11 years old. That was the age she began sleeping with boys in the neighborhood for beer money. 
Shortly after, she got into drugs. When she was 14, she was sexually assaulted by a friend of her grandfather's and became pregnant. She was forced to give her child up for adoption without her ever getting to hold the baby. Her grandparents, who had raised Eileen after her single mother abandoned her at age four, kicked her out of their house. At the age of 14, Eileen started living in the woods. She spent the rest of her adolescent life in between juvenile detention centers, homeless and transient. By the time Eileen was released from prison at age 27, she hated nearly everyone, save her one friend from childhood, Dawn. She harbored a special hatred of men, fostered by a string of abusive boyfriends, abusive father figures, sexual assault, and countless Johns who misused her. At 27, Eileen decided she'd had enough of men for a lifetime. Still yearning for companionship, she began dating women. At 30 years old, she met a fellow bargoer named Tyra Moore, and the pair became inseparable. Tyra offered the emotional stability that Eileen had been searching for her entire life. Over the course of the next six years, the two lived a transient life together, living in motels across Florida. Tyra tried her best to provide for Eileen so that she would no longer need to turn to sex work. But oddly, Eileen refused to stop. Perhaps she didn't like the idea of losing her only means of income, or perhaps some part of her didn't know what else to do with her time. She'd been selling herself for two-thirds of her life. It was the one useful thing she could do for their relationship. And like it or not, the pair needed the money. Tyra cleaned motel rooms, but often struggled to make ends meet. The financial strain affected their relationship, and Eileen grew terrified that Tyra would leave her just like every man she'd ever known. She grew desperate to keep the relationship stable. On November 30th, 1989, Eileen met a John named Richard Mallory, and Eileen propositioned him for sex. As they drove to a secluded location, Richard mentioned that he was on his way to Daytona for a weekend of partying, it was then that Eileen got to thinking, this man likely had a wad of cash on him to blow at strip bars that weekend. She felt the familiar rush of panic move her to reach for the gun she carried with her. As they pulled over on the side of the road, Eileen shot Richard about six times, robbed him, and ditched his car. She told Tyra that she had killed and robbed a man so they could pay rent though Tyra thought she was joking. Richard Mallory's body was found two weeks later, but the case quickly went cold. Six months later, Eileen quickly killed three more men in the same manner, robbing them and ditching their cars along the highway. She chose her victims based on how much money she believed they had on them. Unfortunately for David Spears, Charles Karskadden, and Peter Sims, they looked well off. Eileen and Tyra were seen riding in Peter Sims' car shortly before Eileen dumped it in the woods, 
because of this, sketches of Eileen and Tyra showed up in the paper, and Tyra realized she'd been in a dead man's car that night. Terrified, she left Eileen, fleeing to Pennsylvania. Eileen unraveled. She had only begun killing to keep Tyra by her side, and now her reason for living was gone. Eileen's drinking buddies at the time said that after Tyra left, Eileen was depressed and broken. At the same time, rage simmered beneath the surface. That was the version of Eileen Warnos that Dick Humphreys met on September 11, 1990. That night, Eileen stepped into Dick's car. Up next, Eileen claims her fifth victim. Now back to Today in True Crime. On September 11, 1990, Eileen Warnos was living in a state of chaos ever since her girlfriend Tyra, her only support system, had left her. Eileen had been increasingly despondent and depressed. She had turned to alcohol to drown her sorrows, too sad to take care of herself. Her depression had soon given way to rage. The world seemed to hate her, and quite frankly, the feeling was mutual. That night, she was drunk and high, looking for an excuse to explode. Dick Humphreys provided such an excuse. Eileen had propositioned him, and as they drove towards a secluded area, she felt hatred grow inside her. Maybe it was the fact that Dick was married, or the fact that he was a retired cop. Either way, he should have known better than to seek out sex workers. As far as she was concerned, he deserved what was coming to him. In a fit of rage that she herself would never fully understand, Eileen shot Dick Humphreys in the torso and head multiple times. She then rolled his body into a ditch and abandoned his car in the next county. On the evening of September 12, 1990, Marion County Police were charged with the somber task of informing Mrs. Humphreys she was now a widow. It was the most horrific phone call she'd ever receive. The news of her husband's death only grew more bitter as police struggled to find his killer. Eileen would kill twice more before she was arrested. Eventually, police found items from the deceased at a pawn shop and were able to capture her thumbprint. She would then spend the next two years in prison awaiting trial, before finally being convicted of first-degree murder of Richard Mallory in January of 1992. By that point, Eileen had seemingly lost her will to live. She ended up confessing to six more murders. She pled guilty and no contest to these murders and was sentenced to death. Over the next 10 years, she waived her legally mandated appeals and after assuring a judge that she would kill again if she was released from prison, they set her execution date for October 9, 2002. She died that morning of lethal injection at age 46. 
After her death, her childhood friend Dawn took Eileen's ashes back to Michigan and buried her beneath a tree, a quiet act of kindness that had eluded Eileen all her life. Many people come from horrific childhoods, but do not grow up to become killers. Yet even the smallest ounce of empathy allows us to see that by the time she became a serial killer, Eileen Warnos was so browbeaten by the world and so desperate to keep the one thing she loved from leaving her, murder seemed like a viable option. She was driven to kill by her hatred of the men she felt had used her. She felt betrayed by almost everyone in her life, even her girlfriend Tyra, who left her and later testified against her. By the time of her death, she felt so isolated and alone. It's not hard to imagine that her dying breath was a sigh of relief. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more information on the crimes of Eileen Warnos, check out the episodes of Female Criminals and Serial Killers that dive deeper into her story. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app, Tap Browse and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Maggie Admire, and Travis Clark. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Aaron Lan. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 